Welcome back, everybody, to Post Wrestling. I am John Pollock, and it is our our quarterly trend to welcome this man back, who we're getting on back-to-back weeks here at Post Wrestling. No shortage of great stuff to talk about. He is WrestleNomics' own Brandon Thurston. Brandon, welcome back. Thanks again for having me, John. The market has closed, and WE shares. The market is closing two minutes ago as of when we're recording this, and the, the shares have closed below $50. $49.23 is what I'm seeing on my Google machine right now. Was that a surprise to you, the uh, the, the response uh, some almost 24 hours since the release of the financials on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, I never really know how to what to expect out of the, the share price. That's down 12%. That's a big drop. Yes. Um, in In the bigger picture, though, that they the shares have been climbing pretty strongly since the last uh, earnings report at the end of October. So to just to give it some context, like on on Halloween, which I think is the day that of the last report, or it was around that day, it was down to thirty eight dollars, and now it's at forty nine. So uh, with just within the last three months, there's been a lot of growth, and the Peacock deal news came out, and a lot of the analysts have upgraded their estimates and their price targets. But uh, I think the reason for shares being down is, you know, the analysts uh, expected a lot more profitable Q4 than we got. However, in the big picture, this is the most 2020 is the most profitable year in WWE history adjusted for inflation. Even more it was about about twice as profitable as the Attitude Era adjusted for inflation. And you I mean, for those that have been following your work, you largely mapped this out very early in the pandemic that. WWE, uh, with the belief that their television deals would not be interrupted, stood to have their most profitable year to date. And I think when we rewind back to April and even into May, and we're looking at, you know, any company facing this, this pandemic and what it could mean for them, I think it became kind of clear early on that the company, if they could maintain these television deals and the enormous amount of savings for those performance center raws and smackdowns, I mean, it, it, it turned out to be this unbelievable year, but I mean, this was something like you, you forecasted right at the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of uh, financial analysts, I don't think we're far off. I guess what I was especially accurate about was, were the, the savings that WB would make when they were at the performance center. Um, I, I think the, the market didn't fully understand how cheap it was to run at the performance center. And now they've gone to the, the Thunderdome, but it, uh, I was, you know, writing the uh, 2020 report. Just got finished with that this week, and one of the things that you know occurred to me, and or, or at least that I thought enough of to write about, was that in another era, this would have been, a, you know, COVID would have been devastating for the pro wrestling industry if this was an era like in the 90s or the 80s that is largely supported by ticket revenue. Uh, you wouldn't have been able to run any any events. Uh, I would say, I would say, Brandon, up until. Like, what would you say? Like, even even if we're looking 10 years ago, like, I'm not saying it would would plummet the company, but it would have been an enormous impact where you're it, it, taking out live events and you would have to imagine like there would be a certain impact on, on your pay-per-view business as well, re- relying on that uh, completely. Like, it's not to say pay-per-view would necessarily fall apart. The UFC has thrived in this era, but just given like the impact that they would have on television, not having a performance center in place – it's and going even further back, you're right, it would have been devastating across the industry. Yeah, I would have to look at what what exactly the history is of of TV revenues. TV revenues have gradually increased since the 90s, but uh, it, it, it would have, you know, there wouldn't have been any ticket revenues. There wouldn't have been 
at least any any venue merchandise revenues. Just imagine if it was this was a period where uh, online shopping wasn't as popular. Uh, one of the smaller stories out of, out of this year is that e-commerce really increased and somewhat made up for the lack of any venue merchandise sales. Um, but yet they were. Uh, this is a year where they were their most profitable ever when they got to sell basically no tickets after March. Uh, they didn't get to run their big Saudi events, or excuse me, large, <laughs> large international, scale international large, event. Yes. yes. Did you notice this? Like, there's I've I've written about the WWE, the language of WWE, but clearly this is ex- extended to the earnings conference calls. You are not allowed to say Saudi Arabia event. You have to say large scale international event. Yeah, Christina Salen was tripping over that term over and over like that was clear it's obvious when there is a certain edict in place and that was clearly one of them that the the word saudi arabia were not going to be used to describe um this big windfall of this this fourth quarter and why they were not at the levels of the last quarter of 2019 i was poring over the transcript of the earnings call today and i did a a control f for large-scale international and and it appears eight times i think wow and, and there's no mention of Saudi Arabia, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So just looking at the whole year, just to, to throw out the, the figures here, uh, revenue, a new record, $974.2 million, and that equates to net income of $131.8 million. And, you know, there was, I would say overall, uh, we'll, we'll spend some time on the earnings call. Like unlike many of the calls over the past year, Brandon, it seemed like uh, television ratings certainly took a, a backseat as the hot topic. It seemed that the Peacock deal ha- has greatly, uh, I think, enhanced optimism. Although although ratings were addressed on on the particular call and maybe got the most noteworthy soundbite out of uh, Nick Khan and the linear eyeballs. Yes, they have not lost eyeballs. It's just that eyeballs are switching from linear to digital, which just means. People may not be watching as much on traditional television, but they're watching more in digital YouTube and social media ways, which um, if you put the numbers together, which I I have, I've I've tried to take the last few years and multiply the hours, you know, the, the, the amount of time in terms of duration of each of the Raw SmackDown NXT episodes that have been on linear TV and then top that off with like 30% of the, uh, the digital video viewing that they publish and then what you do f- end up with is a pretty flat trend if you stack it all together. Now, digital video viewing is worth a very, very, very small fraction compared to what their linear television viewing is worth, which is driving about a majority of their revenue now. But um, I guess I, I can't really argue with him that it their viewing overall, if you include the much cheaper digital eyeballs, is about flat. That said... The year-over-year declines, let's just say uh, in Q4, I just tweeted this graph. You can see how AEW is down about 9% Q4 2020 versus Q4 2019, 9%. But uh, everything else in the WWE ecosystem, SmackDown, Raw, NXT, is, is down to a greater degree. And it's a similar type of comparison when you talk about the key demo of 1849 or the younger part of that, 18 to 34. So... It's clear that, well, and maybe just the conclusion is, you know, okay, we accept that all television is going to be on the decline over time for the indefinite future. Maybe this just means that AEW is getting more popular while WWE is sort of holding holding still. But um, like you said, there's some reassurance on the media rights value. 
because no matter how low WWE's television ratings are, they're, the, the money that they get for their television rights is guaranteed and, in fact, guaranteed to escalate over time. But the, the deal with Peacock, which is a property owned by NBC Universal, which also owns the USA Network, uh, that, that gives some, gives people in the market some reassurance that, okay, when the next deal comes up, they'll start re- start negotiating probably in late 2022. That's, this is giving us some reassurance that NBC Universal is really invested in this WB product and they're probably going to continue to uh, treat WB well uh, in the next round. Cause you probably don't want a Raw and to a lesser extent an NXT that's over on somebody else's channel. When you've got a, you know, when you're putting the pay-per-views uh, on Peacock, and there was much discussion about how there's all these opportunities now when it comes to selling advertising and sponsorships, where NBCU will be more invested and they'll have more access to NBCU's uh, ads and marketing teams and and things like that. This is where Stephanie McMahon got a lot of uh, talking time to talk about that. Yes, Brandon. The, every three years, there's a Super Bowl. Every two years, there's an Olympics, and every year, there's a WrestleMania. And I thought it was actually very smart on Stephanie's part to try and equate WrestleMania in the in the discussion of those major events. And I think WrestleMania this year will be a, an interesting litmus test to see the muscle that NBC puts behind promoting WrestleMania on their own Peacock streaming service and and what that means. Like I, I think like this would be the year to see how significant that that push is which could be of of great value to WWE to be uh, featured on uh, all of their properties whether it be linear or streaming right the funny thing now is that like that's a, a great question to ask i don't know how we ever get an answer i mean we'll see what promotions and what uh, commercials and what tie-ins they have across the NBC universal ecosystem but we how are we going to know now what the performance of WrestleMania was in terms of publicly. I'm sure they'll have some internal data, whether or not they're going to share uh, anything with, with the investors or with the public is another story in, in normal. Well, in, in previous years, previous to this one, there would be a, a post WrestleMania number at first. They were in, in the earlier days of the network. They were coming out the next day and doing a conference call and saying, this is our WrestleMania number in terms of subs subscribers. Um, in the last few years, they haven't done that, but they still have published it in the following uh, earnings report. And of course, in b- before the network, we would get reports, uh, maybe through through the Observer, but but through WB at least, uh, about how many pay per view buys uh, WrestleMania sold. So um, those days are gone, I think, Brandon. Like unless it's NBC, that's I, I think it's. I think it's even more baked in than what we have with the UFC pay-per-views because when there is a big event, uh, you know, Disney will sometimes release a figure on their earnings call of what a pay-per-view did. We're not even going to have buys. Like it's going to be so worked into that overall Peacock number that I think it's going to be very difficult to ascertain the the performance, especially to try and compare to uh, past WrestleManias of like what your signups are. I I think a lot of that is going to be and how you can break that down, like what they add in a quarter to Peacock. You can't necessarily directly attach to a a WWE boost versus a new series that's on Peacock. So I think it's going to be very hard to look at the impact of, of WrestleMania on that service unless you're getting that internal da- data that is they're probably not going to be too transparent about. Right. In the case of UFC, there's certainly a transaction happening from the consumer. 
And they're, you know, Dana White, at least I understand, is, is still bragging about how many buys Conor McGregor drew, things like that. But the, the smaller like NBC, shows, you know, though, are the ones that are left to. <laughs> are, are those not getting reported? It's it's no. Yeah. They, like those are I, I know that uh, the Observer at the end of the year did have like the estimates of, of what the shows did. But it, it's it's nothing like the regularity that we had in the traditional pay-per-view era where each show we had like those reports of pretty much the neighborhood of what a show performed in. Yeah. So like NBC Universal will know and they'll probably be sharing that information with with WWE as far as how many viewers sort of like a TV rating, how many viewers on average throughout the program were, were watching it. And that'll be interesting. Another thing that will be a real incentive is how, how well can we sell advertising against this program? Again, I don't see how consume, well, I don't see how investors or wrestling fans who want to have conversations like this though, are going to be able to learn about any of that. And, and maybe they will introduce some sort of metric going forward that they will put in that key performance indicator uh, document that you can find at corporate.wwe.com. Um, so maybe that will, will change and there'll be some sort of reporting there, but I, I just don't know how uh, anybody's going to be able to find out about the success. I guess what I'm going to do is go go to Google trends, go to Google web search and try to compare the web search of this year's WrestleMania to prior years to get some sort of idea of interest. But over the years, that's been on a an annual decline for a number of years that the web search has. What what kind of uh, lead up do you are you anticipating for that fast lane pay per view? This will be three weeks out from WrestleMania. It seems like this, as we had talked about last week, like it's probably a smart play to try this on a somewhat smaller scale event before you, you can work out any kinks for WrestleMania, so you don't have any um, over demand issues for, for Mania. But uh, in that week leading up, like, are you ex- expecting like a, an enormous promotional push from more more so from the NBC side than just internally with wwe i don't know probably i mean they they see you know wwe as a a chance to get a lot of consumers over over there to their service um so probably something leading up to fast lane and then something else especially leading up to uh wrestlemania i mean i think it's it's clear that they want to do one before wrestlemania a pay-per-view before wrestlemania to uh to make sure that everything is right and they're doing it two days before fast lane so they're doing it on march 18th where i imagine on March 18th, on or around that day, if you are a US W Network subscriber, you will suddenly be a Peacock Premium subscriber. It's interesting. Am I going to be, so I'm a 9.99 W Network subscriber. Am I going to be an automatic 4.99 subscriber or an automatic 9.99 subscriber? Um, I imagine there'll be a lot of communication around that, hopefully. <laughs> um, I, I'm just hoping that the algorithm somehow works out that you finish an episode of The Office and they send you over to an episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also uh, had the the statistic here that you know the cost of the Thunderdome. This is not cheap. They they cited a figure that it is twenty five percent more per episode uh, that they're running the the Thunderdome at, and that that certainly you know played a factor in this uh, past quarter. Uh, when it comes to the expenses of the Thunderdome, where where did you kind of ballpark this that it, that this would be you know as significant as that figure above a traditional episode? Not quite that high. So and and this is a lot of what I think is driving the stock price to go down today is that there's there's a lot of caution from Christina Salen, who's the WWE chief financial officer, about how much WWE is going to incur in expenses in 2021. Um, I was kind of surprised last week Monday when they put out this guidance basically saying that 
2021, despite there being guaranteed escalating core content rights fees for Raw and SmackDown, despite there being contracts that guarantee they're going to take in more revenue for TV, uh, despite that, they're going to still uh, be only about as profitable. No more, no less. They're uh, guiding a range of $270 million to $203 million compared to this year. I think they did $286 million, or I should say 2020. So the, the 2020 number is right in the middle of their projection for 2021. So it's not as if this company is going to be more profitable despite guaranteed revenues. That should be uh, increasing, uh, probably breaking a billion. I've been waiting, waiting a few years for them to break a billion, and maybe it'll finally be 2021. But uh, the Thunderdome turns out to be quite expensive. So there's a lot of um, confusion in Q3. That was the first quarter where there was some Thunderdome time in there. The Thunderdome was introduced at the end of August. So there's about half of a, of a quarter there, I think, with the Thunderdome. There's no Capital Wrestling Center yet until early October. That is in Q4. So originally I thought, well, how much could they be spending on the Thunderdome? I could see them, you know, we had just been coming off of the last conference call where Vince really got grilled on ratings and he had, you know, he had to bring up, you know, a, a, yet another excuse after like a year of excuses from, uh, from on these responses to analysts. And uh, so it was clear that they really needed to do something for Raw and SmackDown to help it out. And they did the Thunderdome and I thought, well, how much would they be willing to invest in, in trying to repair ratings and maybe they would be willing to invest uh, as much as they were spending previously on production expenses when they were going from arena to arena. So that's kind of what I modeled in when I did an estimate at the time. And I didn't realize if I had been studying, though, my Q3 reports over prior years, I would have known that in every Q3 for a number of years in a row, WWE gets a production incentive of several million dollars. I don't totally understand why, but it's something from the government that, uh, basically gives them a discount or a rebate against uh, some of their expenses, I guess, in exchange for, you know, doing uh, entertainment production in, in a certain region. So they got about, I think it's $18.5 million of production incentives that basically offset a lot of their production incentives in Q3. So I think a, a lot of people came away from Q3 saying, oh, the Thunderdome must not have been that expensive. Um, but here we are in Q4. And now they're not in the Amway Center doing the Thunderdome. They're in Tropicana Field. Um, I've heard some people say, and then maybe you would know, John, it, it, it does the, the production at Tropicana Field look even more elaborate than it did at the Amway Center. There's that, maybe. Uh, they're at a stadium rather than the Amway Center. I don't see that being a huge difference in expense relative to the production expenses in, in terms of the, the video screens and the lights and all the, all the other stuff there. Um, and then in addition to that, now we've got a full quarter where they're not just doing the Thunderdome, but they're doing the Capitol Wrestling Center at the PC as well. So it looks like, uh, according to some things that Christina Salen said, it looks like uh, this is even more expensive than they anticipate production being when they do, uh, in a post-COVID world, get to return to, to full-scale events. I think she said production costs in 2022 may decline somewhat. Uh, related to 2021. So that makes me think in 2022, in 2022, you expect uh, hopefully the world to be more normal again, doing regular ticketed TV tapings. Uh, but production costs will be on the decline relative to this year. So that I'm reading, trying to read the tea leaves here. And I think what she's saying is the Thunderdome, or at least it's the combination of the Thunderdome and the Capitol Wrestling Center is more expensive than, than it would be 
if we were in a non-COVID world. It was also brought up that they are not looking at fans beyond the two nights of WrestleMania until the second half of the year. I I, I would say like they're being pretty conservative in that sense. You, you've also invested a lot in this Thunderdome that it and and I'm sure that they're looking at yes. Could we open up our doors and fans would come? Yes, but week after week, two, sh- three shows a week, really, when you're including NXT, that if you can't tour, is that the most prudent choice to be to be having uh, at the moment? And they've obviously felt like the expenses for the Thunderdome uh, offset any of the you know added revenue of just selling tickets just because we can in Florida. Right, and clearly AEW has decided differently. Mm-hmm. Granted, AEW is. I think they're they're doing two weeks of of taping at at what at, you know and back to back days or something like that, right? Yeah. So it's not as if they're doing three tapings every week, which is basically what WWE is doing. So and I, maybe there's just a resistance to not wanting to do what what you know these these small time startups are doing over here. Um, but yeah, I mean, and maybe there's a perception of you know we don't want to do we don't know what it's going to look like and. You know, maybe it, it looks small time and you've got few people and there's empty seats. So it's it just maybe it looks better to have the big production, uh, big Thunderdome production set out there instead. This was our second call where Nick Khan and Christina Salen were front and center. Um, any any just overall opinions? Like certainly it was the, the two of them were leading the, this call uh, throughout. And I, th- I think notable the fact that Vince McMahon was very much in a background role outside of an introductory message at the beginning of this call. Like this was Nick Connor. Are you listening to this live? Yes. I I was listening to it live and waiting, listening to the jazz music, in, enjoying the jazz music. But but it, it ended up being, you know, 10, 12 minutes past the. Uh, five o'clock and uh i heard nothing and then all of a sudden i, I heard nick khan uh, start to talk did you experience the same thing like we missed out on the vince comments i have since listened back and, and they're there but yeah did that happen I, for you i had called in and i i got right at the beginning where it was uh michael whites and then okay. vince did a really short back. message before it went over to nick khan so they must have just had a, a different cut in but yeah he was but that was the only that was the only comments from from Vince, right. even midway during the call, when uh, the big return of uh, uh, Laura Martin, Martin occurred. And Laura Martin from Needham tried to ask Vince a question, and uh, there was a, a pause of a few seconds, and then uh, you heard, oh, "This is Nick. Uh, I can take that." You know. Um, but I think so. This is as you're saying. This is Nick Khan and Christina Salen's second conference call here, and I think last time my feeling was, you know, Nick Khan was very impressive, and it looked like he was. The right kind of uh, executive that WWE needed for its time where man, what's going to be more important to this company than media rights? Nothing um, financially. Um, so that was something that made me feel pretty optimistic. And, and clearly Vince felt he has never felt more optimistic than, than he did at that point, he said. Um, <clears throat> but I think I was thinking about it the other night that when I was writing a preview that, you know, you think about Barrios and Wilson left this company about a year ago. And I think what they've done is. That you can kind of look at it as they haven't replaced two people in Barrows and Wilson with two people. I think they've replaced those two people with essentially three people where you have Nick Khan has a similar title to Michelle Wilson and the chief revenue officer. But she's, he's also the president, has the president title as well because he's leading all these uh, media, media rights negotiations. And uh, in the CFO role, which was formerly held by uh, George Barrios, we've got Christina Salen in there. And then there's Stephanie McMahon, who I think is taking over a lot of the position that 
Michelle Wilson used to inhabit in terms of uh, branding and marketing. So I think that's what's happening there. And people will notice that Stephanie McMahon is now advertised for these things as well. So I think this is as much about the elevation of, of Stephanie in, in addition to uh, these two new executives here who have uh, come in after the co-presidents uh, exited. And it also seems like, not that this is a new thing, but even more so that, you know, a lot of those those chats that they would send Barrios out to do, like that seems to be Stephanie's territory now. She has got, you know, it seems a lot of those commitments are are hers to go out and really speak to Maybe. those, those a lot, women. A lot of stuff that I see Stephanie doing, I see on, on LinkedIn where she's doing a lot of these uh, you know, women of sports type talks mm-hmm. um, that you, you pointed out to me that that Christina Salen talk that she did that was a part of um, – some kind of conference that I've heard of before where uh, she's blared out by, by the, by the window from the the light from the window. And uh, technology was not on her side, which I mean, they, uh, Stephanie did outline in this, that, uh, you know, the, the technology, it was time for us to pivot away from technology. And that call certainly, uh, I think gave you a snapshot of that. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say maybe, uh, when there's no more COVID or the, you know, people are traveling around and attending events in person again, I, I could see Nick Khan being somebody who goes to these conferences and talks about, uh, the future of media. He has a lot of opinions. I, in, it, at certain points in this Q and A, he kind of jumps into like explaining the wider media ecosystem, you know, in, in in response to some of the questions rather than, you know, directly answering the questions. But yeah, um, as far as how do I feel about them, I think they're. I don't know. I think they're an an improvement in in terms of being. I think Nikon is an improvement for one thing in terms of having more confidence that WWE is going to continue to maximize its media rights value. Um, that hasn't changed. I mean, just, uh, rhetorically to hear him have the, uh, you know, try to explain away ratings as, you know, everything is fine is interesting. But then again, I, I wonder, well, what else can you say? I, it, it is interesting to think about, you know, to what degree do these people in the room, understand the state of the product that they're that they're dealing with um do they understand that the quality of the product is not good and do they understand that WWE is missing out on a lot of its potential if the product were better for example i think um maybe production maybe these you know massive production expenses that they're incurring with the thunderdome that they had to incur to repair the ratings which it did but Maybe if the product was better, that wouldn't be as urgent of a need, and those expenses wouldn't need to be as high to get ratings to where they are. Uh, maybe if you know, the product was better and created stars more and told uh, compelling stories better, W Network subscribers would be higher, and uh, maybe the W Network would be a better deal on its own, or maybe they could have driven a better deal from Peacock relative to the number of paid subscribers they had. So... I don't know. I mean, I guess what else are you going to say, even if you do understand that, what else are you going to say if you're, you know, you are in this field where live sports content is uh, multiplying in value. So that's a good place to be. The particular product that you have isn't very good. Nonetheless, it's, it's the leader in its industry by far. And uh, it, there's no end in sight in terms of WWE continuing to grow its media rights value. That's more assured now with the peacock deal um but but maybe there's something to be said about hey look we're you know the ratings are you know whatever you want to say about the ratings we still got a, a pretty strong young audience now granted aw's got a, a a larger portion of its viewing audience in the younger 
demographics. But, you know, it is true that uh, WWE does better with uh, certain demographics like African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans than AEW. And you can make the argument that you have a, 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 young, a younger audience relative to general viewership than you have a more diverse audience relative to other wrestling programs. So. Uh, Nick Khan also brought up kind of seemed very bullish on, you know, creating content and developing stars for specific regions of the world, isolating India and Latin America. And that seems to be a prime focus of his is whether it's, as we talked about last week, taking uh, other international versions of the WWE network and and setting up other international licensing deals, but also just creating talent, creating content for outside areas. And this kind of differs from past international expansion plans that nowhere in there was, you know, touring front of mind. It was more so content creation and selling that content to different areas of the world. And that, that seems to be, you know, maybe Nick Khan's like uh, his smaller projects over the next year or so is you know, s- selling international licensing. And we learned his sister is Manachka Khan. I did not know that until he mentioned that. I had no idea. Yes. And did you catch the stat that uh, the superstar spectacle, which was broadcast on all these uh, Sony platforms, a story broken by John Pollock and Brandon Thurston, by the way, uh, that that show would be happening, did a viewership that was five times higher than the average weekly ratings for Raw and SmackDown in India. I don't know what kind of context to put that in, whether it was broadcast in the same manner at the same time, but you know, I took it as across Sony's platforms. That's what it sounded like. They didn't exactly spell it out. Um, I'm always kind of skeptical of the uh, numbers like that, that are just uh, thrown out. But I mean, regardless, I think that it was viewed as a success on, on Sony. And you have to look at that being like, that was the first international market mentioned by Nick Khan. I would say that when you look at the list of priorities of areas of the world, India seems to be number one. Yeah. And Bad Bunny was also brought up as uh, you know, a way that they're targeting the Latin American uh, region. I did not know that Bad Bunny was such a big deal. According to Nick Khan, he was the most streamed artist of 2020 on, on Spotify. And uh, the co-branded Bad Bunny WWE merch, which I have since looked up, there's some t-shirts and it's it's all the same image, but it's it's on t-shirts and hoodies and posters. Uh, the, was the, the Bad hot- Bunny replica belt cannot be too far away. <sighs> that that is that is the way to go. That's right because they they mentioned that a, a, they had a 100 percent increase in the sales of replica belts, and that they have a deal with with a, an unnamed major sports league to uh, to do replica belts that have the team logo on them. So look for that. But yeah, the, according to Nick Khan, the Bad Bunny W merch was the hottest selling item on record for WZ e-commerce. I mean, that's that's very impressive. I mean, if they've just put that merchandise on sale already, like it seems to be like this is, you know, we see so many attempts at celebrity crossovers that seem to just be one and done appearances. Like it seems like they do have a bit of a strategy here of using Bad Bunny beyond just this appearance at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, maybe Bad Bunny and Booker T teaming up at uh, WrestleMania against uh, the is it the Miz that he's been oh Miz and Morrison. Morrison. Yeah, we could say D- Damian Priest was. I mean, really, of of all the talent on the roster, Damian Priest was the only one really mentioned. In the, it was like Damian yeah. Priest and Bad Bunny. You would take away as like the the focal points here that Nick Khan specifically cited here, uh, aiming at a, a Puerto Rican fan base. Yeah, Damian Priest got a name drop. 
Uh, Sasha Banks got a name drop for being on uh, The Mandalorian. There's going to be some sort of, uh, you know, not all of this stuff was clearly spelled out. But there's going to be some sort of um, film or TV series that's going that's going to come out through WWE Studios that will be voiced over by uh, they didn't put it this way, but retired wrestler and now voiceover actor John Cena. I'm surprised at how many commercials I catch where I'm like, that's John Cena trying to sell me a truck. <laughs> um. But as far as it is interesting, what names, you know, wrestler names get dropped. And I have only started to go through the 10K, which is the 104 page annual report. But uh, they'll, they'll put somebody on the cover. Like in some years, it's been Asuka or Charlotte or Roman Reigns. But we do have a, a count of th- almost 300 superstars are under contract. Of course, 85% of them have been uh, developed in the Performance Center. But they do mention. I guess this is like five or so. Roman Reigns, Sasha Banks, the Street Profits, Otis, and Bianca Belair. Those are the the wrestlers that they chose to name as as the examples of uh, of wrestlers who are active on their main roster. So that's interesting. It's just interesting, you know, who they pick and to try to think about why they pick. But these are clearly those those are people who they see as uh, they see as big stars for them. Roman Reigns, Sasha Banks, Street Profits, Otis. And uh, Bianca Belair. Yeah, I don't know quite where Otis fits into that that other category, but the others, I, I think you can certainly uh, check off that box. Uh, you know, you know, Vince Vince loves him. I'm sure. <laughs> Look at him. Uh, also, uh, this was, uh, I guess, more reassurance than I was necessarily expecting in the call. But when the topic of NBC Sports Network shutting down was addressed and what potential impact that could have on Raw or NXT, Nick Khan sounded pretty confident it's going to have no impact. Um, Not so much surprising with Raw, but for NXT, given how big of a night that is for the NHL on the NBC Sports Network, uh, their deal is up with NBC this year. Um, You know, he, he sounded pretty confident it's not going to affect NXT on Wednesday nights. Yeah, I think I think that's the um, probably the biggest news story for for general wrestling consumption is that he seemed quite adamant that that's not going to affect NXT, and he said, you know, uh, and and NBC Sports Network folding will have no effect on Raw or NXT. So he must have been reassured by someone at NBC Universal that Wednesday nights are yours. You know, maybe where else is is NHL on Wednesday night going to go? Because I can't think that they're going to uh, not continue to do NHL on Wednesday night. And the things that I've heard from, I think, people like John O'Rand, who, you know, know the sports media business better than I do, um, they think that uh, NHL is going to stay with NBC Universal because that's been a, a good relationship there. So I, maybe that goes to Peacock or maybe it goes to what what other network could it go to? I don't know. But it sounds like it's staying on, on Wednesday night. So uh, no rest for, for the Wednesday Night Wars. I thought that, you know, sometimes I always try to pick out like the one line that I'm going to uh, regurgitate back to you, Brandon. And I, and I thought I had it all sealed when Stephanie McMahon gave her very um, prepared statement and inserted the joke about Bad Bunny showing up on Raw in a Bugatti. I mm-hmm. never thought I'd see a Bugatti on Raw. But then yeah. later, deep in the call, building upon the three eyes, we got Nick Khan's three R's for partner oh. satisfaction. Ratings, relevancy, and revenue. Relevancy. That's that's a good one. That's sort of like adjusted OIDA and relevancy. If you if, if everything else isn't going well, at least you've got adjusted OIDA and relevancy. But uh, I don't I don't know what that means. And, I, and it sort of just points to like I don't know how we're going to know. That was brought up in relation to how do we uh, measure success for content on Peacock. Uh, 
revenue that they sell for advertisers, the ratings, which I guess would be the viewership that they drive on Peacock, which again, I don't know if we're going to know, and the relevancy, which I, I don't know how one would measure relevancy. But, um, but yeah. I guess there's, it there's at least it, uh, linear relevancy or digital relevancy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. What's your forecast? Like just totally spitballing here. Do you, do you expect them to get to Saudi Arabia in 2021? Do you think that that is a reasonable expectation or is too, too high an expectation level given the uncertainty? I, I think it's reasonable to think that they'll get there once in the, in the second half of the year. Um, hopefully everyone will get vaccinated. Uh, or enough people will get vaccinated and we'll be able to have some normal live events. Um, that second Saudi event was usually positioned in October or November anyway, so that's pretty late in the year. But I think that's it's quite possible that there'll be one. And uh, Vince has said in the past that, you know, don't worry, all these Saudi events that we're missing out on are just going to be tacked on to the end of the 10-year contract. So don't worry, you're not missing out on any Saudi events. They're just being deferred. Um, I think it, it's possible. Um, I think this is going to be a similarly profitable year, 2021 to 2020. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, we'll see what happens and they'll, um, it'll be a, probably a higher revenue year, but a, but a higher year in terms of expenses. What are the big questions coming out of, uh, this call going into the new year, uh, that you have that weren't answered in this call? I guess what's going to happen with NXT was not really addressed other than it sounds like they're staying on Wednesday night. So I would guess that we're going to see NXT renew, uh, on Wednesday night with uh, NBC Universal to stay on USA. It, it really, in terms of uh, revenue for this company, if uh, NXT is worth, let's just give it a, a really generous range of you know 20 million to 60 million, somewhere in that range, that's, then we're talking about something that's in the ballpark of their biggest international deals. Because I think uh, India is worth about 50 million average annual value. Uh, UK is worth maybe something less than that, but not, not by too much less. So this NXT deal, if it is worth as you know, somewhere in the range of twenty to sixty million, which I think is a pretty good range, it's probably falling somewhere in there. That that's going to be as big as any international deal. And I would see uh, if this was an India deal, you would see the analysts, you know, talking about it in, in every one of their uh, reports that they put out. But uh, nobody really knows how to uh, to deal with it, I guess, um, because it is a, a new property and the uh, the viewership is much lower. But uh, and we have no history of what this has been worth in the past. Well, Brandon, I always want to thank you for dropping by and uh, chatting about uh, the earnings calls uh, that the WWE puts out. These are always uh, of great value and entertainment, as are everyone's uh, should be going towards the WrestleNomics Pro Wrestling Industry Report that you uh, dropped earlier this week. And I just want to give you a. the floor is yours. Uh, what people can expect and where they can go check out this uh, industry report that uh, highest of recommendations from myself. This thing, uh, not only is it packed with information, but it just looks it it looks stunning. It, it's a beautiful layout. Like it's just appealing to the eye, Brandon. Yeah, well, I've been in, in Microsoft Word every day in the month of January, laboring away at the 2020 report, which I did one uh, last year which uh, got a lot of people to read it. That it, that was happening just after the Barrios and Molson story. So everybody was, I think a lot of people in the, in the investment community were trying to understand W business at that time. And, and that was something that was helpful for them. So I f- figured I'd do it again. And um, it's even longer this year. 
48 pages last year, 63 this year. Who knows what will happen in 2021. But um, the first two-thirds or so of it is just a lot of facts, a lot of key metrics, including uh, there's company profiles in there. There's all sorts of views about viewership throughout the year of 2020, including total audience, key demo 18 to 49, 18 to 34, trying to look at as well how these wrestling programs uh, in terms of viewership are are performing relative to TV overall, because you always hear people talk about, you know, the latest TV rating and apologizing for it by saying that all, all, all television is down. Well, we're trying to unpack that to some degree there. Um, taking a look at just the annual trends in, uh, in live events and to whatever extent there were live events in 2020, uh, looking at consumer products as well. Uh, just sort of looking at the, uh, the licensing deals that WWE, uh, AEW and New Japan have looking at W network subscribers, New Japan world subscribers. And, uh, then the, then there's a lot of, uh, Google web search stuff in there looking at not just the, uh, the major companies, including WAW, New Japan, Impact, Ring of Honor, but looking at a lot of the, uh, the next tier of companies as well. And just looking at how their, their Google web search, uh, queries are trending. Cause I think Google web search, while it can be misleading at times, especially when there's a big news event or like a scandal negative story, um, I wrote a piece in there too about how you can look at the the differences in year over year change in in the Google web search results for various companies, and what you find is that you can tie a lot of them, uh, a lot of those trends to trends in consumer metrics that are actually related to revenues. So that's in there, and and again, the last third or so is sort of some analysis, some written analysis about the business, including my annual uh, barrel of Vince's creative in, in the most uh, technical terms and uh, some talk about uh, W talent or not, not just W talent, but really the development of the talent uh, uh, overall in the industry and what COVID is doing to the independents and how the various uh, companies have actually quite different developmental strategies in place. And uh, there's probably a lot of other stuff too that I'm just not thinking of off the top of my head and you can get it either one of two ways by either being a patron at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. If you're a $5 a month supporter, you get that. It's in a post. You just download it right out of the post. It's a PDF. Or you can download the PDF for $6 on PayHip. Have you uh, noticed over the past year, do you find like there is a larger audience now for for this work that you're putting out? Is it similar to a year ago? Because I just just think like I haven't looked into it deeply, but it just seems like there is a growing appetite for this aspect of the wrestling industry that a lot of fans are drawn to. I think there's a growing appetite for it. Um, What helps last year, last year is selling way better than this year, though. Because I, I I don't know what happened at first, or if there was something at I don't think I don't think there was something out because I released it on January twenty seventh, two thousand nineteen, and there was a nice spike in sales then, and then three days later the Barrios and Wilson story happened, and then there was an, e- an even bigger spike. So I think it's just about the frenzy of what by luck happened when I released that report last year. But th- there's there's quite a bit of interest, and the other thing I think maybe that's um. I'm analyzing my own business now. The other thing that's, uh, you know, masking or cha- changing the effect is that I've, I've I cannibalized pay-per-view and I'm now I'm selling the W network. So now last year, the only way to buy it was through PayHip for an individual purchase. And now, um, the most avid WrestleNomics, uh, 
economists are are at Patreon. So all all the people who probably would have been the most uh, interested in buying it are already supporting WrestleNox. So there's there's that as well. But I haven't done a full revenue breakdown just yet. Well, it's a uh, top level work. I highly encourage everyone to go check out the report as well as all of the work that Brandon puts out at WrestleNomics.com. I'm sure he will have a, a big breakdown uh, this weekend. Vince McMahon did not give you a whole lot of material to work with, uh, uh, quote wise, uh, but I- I'm sure you will uh, make it work. And I hope that sometime during 2021, can we dream, Brandon, maybe we will get at least one uh, public call from George Barrios and M- Michelle Wilson for ISO's capital management. I'm sure they'll do conferences or something. They'll do some sort of virtual public appearance, I bet. Goatee George Barrios. That's what that's what's his post-WWE yeah. look is uh, uh, reflecting. And I, I think we all would love some George Barrios in our life to talk about uh, moats and ecosystems and all his uh, – I, I guess he'll retire all his – wrestlers that he grew up loving such as uh what was the one he really butchered was it ricky steamboat ricky the steamboat dragon that was the best one that was his a big fan and, uh, of ricky the steamboat his, dragon his favorite current wrestler is sean rollins <laughs> my favorite too he's been he's been watching him right from the get-go so yeah. george barrios we can never have enough of him and we can't have enough of brandon thurston give him a follow on twitter at Brandon Thurston, and we always appreciate the time, and we'll speak after Q2. Absolutely, anytime. Thanks for having me.